D.L. Moody was a great evangelist at the end of the 1800s. He was known worldwide. Matter of fact, we just buried a great evangelist in Billy Graham, and D.L. Moody certainly could have held his own with Billy Graham. Maybe in some respects, D.L. Moody was even a greater evangelist, but it's not about where you fall on how great you are. But early or late in the 1800s, uh, D.L. Moody invited a number of European pastors and religious leaders to come to Massachusetts to be part of one of his Bible studies. And as was the European custom at the time, at the evening, everybody put their shoes outside their door, bedroom doors, so that the servants could come and take them and clean them and polish them. That was the custom in Europe, but of course in America, we didn't have any servants, or not servants like that. So here's D.L. Moody wandering down the dorm hallway, looking at row upon row of all these shoes that his brothers in Christ have left. And he picks up every last pair of shoes and takes it to his room because he doesn't want to embarrass his brothers in Christ. And he sits in his room and cleans them and polishes them. No one would have ever known had not one of his friends come and barged into his room later that night and seen what he was doing. And the next morning when all the guests got up and they went to their doors and opened their doors, here was a freshly clean pair of polished shoes. Now there were others during that time, especially since this friend of D.L. Moody's had seen what he had done. They decided they would do it too. No one ever knew No one ever told anyone that this is what was going on, but each and every night those shoes were picked up, and either D.L. Moody or someone else would clean them and polish them and set them into place the next morning. Moody was a man with a servant's heart, and that was the basis of his greatness. I want to ask you today a simple question. What do you get out of being a Christian? What do you get out of being a Christian? All of us have probably asked ourselves that question at times. So I'm going to ask you to do it, think, do it again right now. What do you get out of being a Christian? What good do you get for having membership in the church? Where's the profit? Where's the benefit? What's the takeaway? I think we all have expectations. If we're honest, all of us expect something in return for our service and our dedication. We may not say so, but deep inside, that's how we feel. We have expectations. We have some type of, I do this for you, you do something for me. If the pastor doesn't visit frequently enough, if the church council doesn't take up a plan, if the thank yous don't come when you feel the thank yous are due, then each of us probably wonder, why do I even bother? Why? Why am I a member of this church? Why am I part of this fellowship? I don't see the point. I give and I give and I give and nobody even bothers to say thank you. I think I'm being taken for granted. Maybe we are. Maybe we don't get enough praise. But do you really feel that you're being abused or misused? Saying thank you is more than just simply manners. It's helpful. It makes us feel good. When someone says thank you to us, we want to do more things because they've expressed their thankfulness. Now, for a moment, I want to let you feel sorry for yourselves. So you go ahead and do that right now. You feel sorry for yourself. 
you haven't had enough thank yous and you haven't had enough support in your life, please go ahead. Feel sorry for yourself. How's that working for you? Good? You feel any better? You think it's really going to make a difference at the end of the day? You know as well as I do, it's not. But there are also alternatives I want to present to you. We can feel sorry for ourselves, and we continue to languish in that sorrow. You want to do that? Day after day, woe is me. Woe is me. Nobody loves me. Nobody says thank you. And it doesn't change one thing. The appreciation and the recognition might be there, but it's always temporary. It doesn't last very long, and surely it's never enough. Or there's another alternative. You can just give up on everything. You can quit the committee. You can quit the church. You can leave and have absolutely no regrets. I'm sick and tired. I'm out of here. Is that what you want to be too? Is that really helpful? Is that what a Christian does? Or there's one last alternative, one that I'm assured that you're not going to like the sound of because I don't like the sound of. It's the teaching that Jesus gives us. If you must be last of all, you must be servant of all. If you're ever going to be first, you're going to have to be last. And you're going to have to be a servant of all. Now, let's admit it. None of us want to be last. We always want to be first. We want to be victorious in whatever we do. We want to be numero uno, right? And none of us like the word servant. None of us want to be a servant to anybody or anything else. We're our own person. We make our own decisions. Live and stand, right? So this business about being last and about being servant, that doesn't sit well. None of us want that. Also, servants don't get many thank yous, to be honest with you, do they? Most people never say thank yous to those who serve their life. And servants are chosen. They're not selected. They're, they're servants by not, their, by not their permission. They're given. They're taken in as servants. I can't even talk today. Servants live in the shadow of wealth, but they never sit at the table of wealth. They're always underneath the table, cleaning up the crumbs. What do servants do? They serve. They serve. In our story today, Jesus drives this home as a point when suddenly there's a child there in their midst and he he puts the child in the lab and says, when you spend your precious time with children like these, Jesus is saying is when you teach them about me, when you love them because you love me, when you care for their needs, when you wipe their runny noses, when you make them smile and laugh because you're my servant and you never expect any thank you in return. Then when that child receives me, you have received me, and that's enough. If you'll do that for the children, you've done that for me, and that is more than enough, and that is your reward. Most of us would rather be an advisor or a president for a CEO company or a company. Most of us think that we have enough talent to make a difference in our jobs. If our boss would only listen to us, we could make a lot of difference in our jobs. Most of us think that children are simply for parents to take care of. That's not true. A lot of your tax money goes to the schools in our county. Matter of fact, we're building a new middle school right over that way off of your dollars. A lot of the offering that you put in the plates goes right next door. 
So that Jill and her crew work with our children so that they might know Jesus Christ, that they might be raised to call him Savior, and that we care enough about them. You have people in the nursery right this minute. They don't have children of their own, but they're over there because they've taken on the responsibility and they feel it's important enough to lift up those children and raise them to know Jesus Christ. And Jesus probably used the word child metaphorically because there's some 35-year-olds that don't know the gospel and think religion is a bunch of hooey. So those children also we must take, we must teach, we must be gracious with, and we must love so that they might also know Jesus Christ. Certainly we shouldn't waste our time on children, should we? We shouldn't waste all of our good talents on children. We're greater than that. We, we want to be a CEO. We want to be a president. Or we at least want to be the power behind the curtain, behind the throne. In our story, Jesus finally asked the disciples that embarrassing question, what were you talking about? Of course, we know that Jesus knew what they were talking about. They were talking who amongst them was the greatest. You could almost feel the flush in their faces when Jesus asked that question. He's told them about his death. He's told them about being buried three days and rising, but they simply didn't understand or they didn't want to understand. They're too busy. This Jesus that we're following, oh boy, he's something else. He's something big. Something's going to happen around him. Jesus is different, and we want to be a part of that. Man, the crowds are everywhere. The crowd senses. He talks about death, but that's unimportant. Jesus is young. He's only 30 years old. He's in good health. We don't have time to talk about this death stuff. That's irrelevant. He's coming into power. And no doubt about it, he's going to need people around him. Hmm. Can't you hear them speculating? Can't you hear them whispering? Can't you see the dream of their greatness because they're followers of Jesus Christ? Jesus is another David. He's going to be another king. He's going to save us from Roman oppression. He's going to need generals and he's going to need diplomats. Why, Jesus might even need a secretary of state. Jesus is going to have ambassadors. He's probably going to need a cabinet. Can't you see those disciples? This is what I want. Secretary of defense, secretary of interior, secretary of state. We're going to be great because Jesus is great. And what does Jesus say? The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. They couldn't hear that message. Not because they had wax in their ears, it's because they had glory in their eyes. They were looking at different things for different reasons. They couldn't hear the message. They were ready to serve a king. They were ready to serve a president. Isn't that the type of servants we want to be? Don't we want to be close to the throne of power and respect and fame? So he asked him, what were you discussing? I can almost hear him say, do you want me to tell you what you were discussing? Because you know as well as I do, Jesus sees into our hearts and he knows what's there before our lips ever even move. He's wondering about his disciples. I'm wondering if he's not worried about them. What's going to happen? What are these ambitious servants going to do when they watch their dream literally die on a cross like a criminal? How are they ever going to stay together? How are they going to remember what I've taught them? Are they going to drift away? Are they going to panic? Are they going to run? Is this group just simply going to quit on me? 
I can't imagine that Jesus wasn't worried, wasn't concerned. You know, there's not a single instance in the scripture, not one instance, where Jesus says thank you to his disciples. They were his servants, chosen to serve. They were to serve not for the sake of a thank you, but for the sake of their Lord. And I think Jesus must have been a little worried at this point. How was this motley crew of men ever going to continue on? What would they do during those three days when he was in the grave? Scripture says they were silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another who was the greatest. So let me ask you a question today. Who is the greatest? Not amongst the disciples, amongst us. Who's the greatest? The pastor? Heaven forbid. The staff? Nope. How about our Sunday school teachers or our Bible teachers or the people who help there in the children in the nursery? How about them? We're getting closer. How about our great group of seniors or our fantastic group of kids? Are they the ones that are the greatest within the confines of our church? They're getting closer. But even in our story, it wasn't the child that was so great. It was Christ who, he was Christ who was received through the child. Jesus said, receive a child in my name and you receive me. And then he has that wonderful, marvelous promise that we all cling to. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. That's the greatest. The one who sent him. He is the greatest among us. Christ never pointed to himself. He always pointed to the Father. He was the servant. He was the chosen one. The scripture doesn't record a single thank you from the Father to the Son. Not one. The closest we ever get is, well done, followed by my beloved son. That's as close as we ever get to a thank you. And that's as close as any of us are ever going to get to a thank you. That's not what we're about. That's not why we're followers of Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form. The greatest among us is him, the one that we serve. That's what we need to take home. You can take all your rest of your stuff and file it someplace. You can get rid of it. You can burn it. You can bury it. Whether it's your selfishness, your self-centeredness, or your personal agendas, you can get rid of it. Because you're never going to be great. Not in the way that really counts. Perhaps you're not sure who you are or where you are or why you're living this life the way you are. Perhaps you're not sure exactly what God is molding you into, even though he works on you day in and day out. Every last one of us has wondered about our mortality. And every last one of us has wondered where we're going to go when we step through that portal. There's not one of us who hasn't given that a thought. Where are we going to end up? And how long is eternity anyway? We've all asked the question. I don't know what God's doing in your life. I don't know what he's shaping you into. I don't know what he's molding you for, but he is working in your life to the point where you'll never care about thank yous. You'll only truly care about giving thanks. You'll never care about thank yous, but what you will care about is giving thanks.
And that's the life of a Christian. That's the life of a servant, folks. That's what you and I are. I are? I is? That's what we are. We're servants. We're servants. No more, no less. And as servants, it's never about being the greatest. But it is about serving the greatest. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me, please?